Well, welcome back and good morning, everybody. We're going to continue in our walk through the book of Romans. We are still on chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. You can follow along on the overhead. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. I want to encourage you guys to have a personal Bible that you're diving into on a regular basis, not just on Sunday mornings here with us, so that you can hear from God every day as you read it. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of Romans 1, and then we're going to respectively start at verse 5 and continue unpacking this. So follow along with me if you could, please. Paul, a slave, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, that's God, promised beforehand, how? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's why I want you to read your Bibles. It was concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace an apostleship to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the call of Jesus Christ. He's writing to all who are beloved of God in Rome. <clears throat> They're called as saints. And he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, first he says, again, we're reading his letter he wrote to this church in Rome. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I'm making mention of you. Always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I might succeed in coming to you. So let's stop there. Let's just dig in. Slide uh, four, Cheryl. Look at verse five with me, church. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. To do what? To bring about the obedience of faith, that's your word, pisteos, to all the ethnations. By the way, that word nations there is where we get our word ethnic from. It's ethnos. It's our ethnic background. So all ethnic groups of people, for his name's sake. So what is he saying here? Well, he received something. What does it mean to receive? Elabominin is the Greek word you can see up there. It means to act as a receptacle of, to take hold of. Think with me for a moment about what Paul is stating to us here, church. He says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. I just want to make, highlight a couple words here, grace. Do we remember what the word means? If somebody asked you to define that word, would you be able to define the word grace there? Greek word you can see up there is the word charis. It means unmerited favor. 
Church, we need to understand grace, to understand this gospel. Grace is showing kindness to somebody who doesn't deserve that kindness at all. It's unmerited, meaning there's no reason to show it. So Paul understands that it was God's grace as to why he was arrested and apprehended so he could finally see himself as a sinner that he was and then be shown the way of salvation. Paul knew full well his sins were forgiven and that he became a new creature, a new man. Do you believe that about yourself? Think clearly about it. Grace. God shows you and I unmerited favor, and there's no reason why he should have to show it to us and still does it. He says grace and then apostleship, and we've already covered what an apostle is and what an apostle isn't. But he also is now reiterating, as he did verse 1, and he's restating it that he's an apostle. It's an important fact about himself. So he wanted the believers in Rome to understand this fact. It was Christ himself that Paul saw on that road to Damascus church. The Lord was right there, and he says, I am Jesus. So if you remember, to be an apostle, somebody had to have seen the risen Lord. Paul was the last to see the risen Lord on that road to Damascus. And what, did, what, what was the mission? He was sent to preach to the Gentiles to what? Open their eyes, to turn from darkness to light, to turn from the power of Satan to God so they can receive an inheritance of God. So, think about it. He received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. So let's take a moment and really make sure we understand this word obedient. We don't see a whole lot of it going on in society today. But the real question is, okay, Paul, what did you mean when you used the word obedience? What was going through your mind? Well, as you can see on the slide there, the Greek word is hupokeo. It means compliance or submission. Now, it seems Paul is bringing this point out because sin, as we should all know by now, is the opposite of obedience. When we look at the opposite of what the word obedience means, uh, hopefully it can give us some more clarity as to the word, what o the word obedience means. So then, what is the opposite of obeying or being obedient? It's disobedience. What does that mean? Non-submission. Non-compliant. Church disobedience is choosing not to obey God or believe the record he gave us concerning his son, Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that sin is not only what we do wrong, church. It's those things which hopefully by now, if we're in the word, can understand sin is what makes our lives miserable. Those things that spoil and bring ruin to our lives. Think about the kind of ruin sin has brought to your life and my life. Think about the misery that is in our lives as a result of sin. Sin is all of that. Sin is disobedience to God. Many people, and I've heard this through countless counseling sessions I've done over the years, many people will say this. They'll have this attitude. See if this resonates. You know, Pastor Jack, I will believe and accept Jesus if, if, if he will help me, Pastor Jack, if he will make me happy, if he will deliver me from my problems, Jesus, make my problems go away, and then I'll follow you. 
Make my finances where they're supposed to be, and I'll follow you. Church, think about it. Sin is high-handed rebellion against God. It's putting him on trial. Sin is literally turning our backs on God to do things our own way, and it's a refusal to listen to the Word of God. Do we struggle with that, church? Well, it's quiet in here already, Dr. Carter. Think with me this morning. How about, where did this start? Let's go all the way back, slide five, to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there, enjoying all the fruits and being there in the garden, anything they can want. Genesis 6, 5, Then Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you see that, church? I want that verse to sink in. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent and the logismos, the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. Hear me this morning. Sin is turning your back on God to do things your own way. It is a refusal to listen to the word of God. Make no mistake about it. So then, the opposite here would then be to listen to God. This is the obedience of faith Paul's talking about. To listen to what God the Father has said to you and I concerning his son, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is calling us to do. Slide 6. Let's look at Romans 6, 16 and 17. Later on, we'll be covering it, but let's look at this now. Think about this. The obedience of faith. Let that resonate. We're going to really unpack that this morning. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are a slave of the one whom you obey. Look at the verse. Don't miss it. Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Don't you know that when you present yourself to someone as a slave, that means they own you. They own everything about you. You're a slave of the one who you obey. So you're either obedient to sin and this world that you live in, that results in death, or obedience resulting in righteousness. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were, aris tense, or in our language, past tense, you used to be slaves of sin. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Can that be said about us this morning? That word present. Paul, what did you mean? Peristeme. It means to yield to. See, Paul is talking here about whom you're yielding your allegiance to, whom you're following and obeying. In fact, in the Greek language, this is what we call the active voice. It's indicating that the person is actually the one carrying out the action. Who are we yielding ourselves to this morning? 
The person is the originator of the sin. Literally thinking about it. If it's to sin, you're placing yourself alongside as a slave who obeys sin's dictates. Is that part of your life right now? I know these are hard questions. I'm just preaching what the text says to all of us. Think about it. If we're slaves to sin, we're submitting to it as an act of our own will. When you and I sin, it's a choice we make. Well, somebody made me do it. No, your response was doing it, and that was just a trigger. Church, think with me for a moment. A slave owner obviously insists upon certain behaviors from his slaves. You see, church, if you look at a man's conduct or a woman's conduct, sooner or later you can tell who that person's master is. Where do they go? What do they do with their time? Do they make the most of their time because the days are evil? How are they cashing in the minutes that God's allowing them to live? What is Paul saying here in verse 16? When you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. As I thought about this, a couple questions came to my mind. Ask yourself this, church. What does your conduct reveal to others about you? Think about the way you live out each day, the things you do. What does your conduct tell other people about who you are submitting to? What does it tell them that you obey? Church, if we follow Satan in the course of this world as our master, Paul makes it clear it is sin resulting in death. But Paul also says something else to believers in verse 17. For people that are truly born again, that have surrendered their life to Christ, he says, you used to be slaves to sin, but you became obedient from the heart. I want us to be completely honest here this morning and ask yourself this question. And only you can answer it. It's between you and the Lord. Which group do you and I belong to this morning? The group of you were, past tense, aorist tense, slaves of sin? Church, hear me this morning. Don't fall asleep on me. Can we say that this was once you and I, but that's no longer true about us? Have we yielded all parts of our life to the Lord? Did something wonderful and precious happen to you and I? Did, did God the Holy Spirit supernaturally change our hearts? See, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. There's a wonderful change. Paul says you became obedient from the heart to that form, that tupas, that form of teaching to which you were committed. There it is, church. You have obeyed. Church, this speaks of our will. It comes from our heart. It shows up in our emotions. So what have we obeyed? That form of teaching, that tupas, that form. See that word form there? I want to make sure we don't miss it here. It has the idea really of a dye or a mold that they would pour a molten level into, this molten metal. Okay? So that's the dye. It's forming something. The word committed has the idea of yielding yourself to. So how are we to understand what Paul is trying to get across to us? Let's make sure we're drawing deep down out of the text. 
the best that I could come up with is that God has poured his word into us so much that we are molded into a new creation. He's poured it into us. He has been remolding us so that when that mold is done, we become the perfect image of his son. Here again, it points to the sufficiency of Scripture. Ask yourself this question, and I know it's hard. Why does God get the leftovers of the week? Why is it so hard to crack open your Bible and just spend five minutes with Him? Why is that so hard? We can spend 40 hours a week watching TV and have the Cheetos dripping down the side of our chin while we're like, uh but we can't give God five minutes a day to be in his word? What does that tell God about how you and I think about his relationship coming from our side to him? Think with it. Think with me. Why? He wants to talk to us. He wants a relationship with us. He's giving us his word, and yet it gets the leftovers or no part of the week except when we show up on Sunday. And I know that's convicting, but ask yourself, don't we need to change that behavior? Think about how precious it is that the very creator, sustainer, and ruler of the entire universe condescends and is willing to talk to you individually, one-on-one, through his word. Think about that, that form of doctrine that he's delivered to you and I. How do we understand doctrine? With our minds. So, church, think about this change, this transformation when we become Christians should be affecting our minds, our hearts, and our will, the entire person. Listen to me. True saving faith will always produce obedience and submission to Christ. I'm going to say that again. True saving faith will always, always produce obedience and, of course, submission to Christ. Have you been born again? Can that be said about you? Are you striving each day to walking in obedience with Him? Are you submitting all areas of your life to Him? How about slide 7, 1 John 3.23? John writing this. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and we agape toy we it's in the it's active we are to continually love one another just as he commanded us so if true saving faith always produces obedience and submission let me ask us the question can what we just read be said about us do the people that know us think we even care about them? Oh, it's still quiet, Dr. Carter. <clears throat> think about that word commandment. It's like a corollary word to obedience. So we learn obedience means compliance and submission. Here he's using the word commandment. It's the Greek word entole. This means a charge or a precept. There it is, entole, commandment, that we pistisimon, we continually believe in the animate, his name of the Huias, the Son, Jesus Christ, and we agape him. 
one another. We love one another as we have been commanded, continually commanded to do it. A command is a charge or a precept, a rule or a principle. It prescribes a particular course of action. What's the course of action? That we love, and love one another. That's putting Jesus on full display. It's authoritative. It's an authoritative direction directly from God to you and I. What then is the course of action? We are to listen to what God the Father has said to us about his Son and that we are to believe in the name of his Son. Why? Church, he sent his Son forth to call us to repent, turn away from sin, and believe on his Son, Jesus Christ, who he sent. So then, we need to ask ourselves, what does the word believe mean? Think about it. What does that word believe mean? If a 10-year-old kid came up to you and pulled on your sleeve and said, I need to know what this word means for school tomorrow. I've got to write out the definition. What would be the definition you would give? Your life hangs on that. How do we apply it? Well, as we've seen in the text there, pisteo, which is the root word of pistisamon, it means to put your faith and trust in, adhere to, and rely on. Putting your faith in, you are trusting in, you are adhering to, and relying. Faith is just not saying, I believe in Jesus. Even demons tremble and believe. Faith has more of a component to it than just spitting out the words. You are trusting, you are adhering to, and you are relying on Jesus the Christ. This word has all the flavor and idea of having this confidence in this truth. It doesn't rest on logical proof. The Father is commanding you and I to place our trust and confidence in who His Son is and what His Son has done for us. We are not to believe in Christ because He delivers from our problems or just to get some help and comfort. He's not like Tylenol in a bottle or an Advil. Come on. He's not some pain reliever. He's not some magic genie in a bottle that we rub and we throw out these little coin wishes to Him. We are called to believe because we are commanded to do so by the Father who knit you and I in our mother's womb. So back in Romans 1.5, Paul is letting us know that the task of evangelism for him is not to give people this feel-good, kumbaya message, but his job is to tell everyone the record that God the Father has given to him concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. By the way, that's our responsibility too. God declared it, and he proved it, by raising his son from the dead. Remember, you know, we can take you where these other prophets and uh, people are buried, but we have the empty tomb. Don't ever forget that. When a person believes the gospel, that person is placing his faith in, he's trusting in, he's adhering to, and he's relying on Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It really is the obedience, the compliance and submission of faith. It's an element of commitment which includes submission. Listen, this is important. Keep in mind, you were not saved because you said some sinner's prayer when you were a kid. You're not saved because of that. You're not saved because of the state you come from or your relatives. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean that you just intellectually accept him. Listen, it means that you completely 
and totally, without any hesitation, surrender your entire life to him. If you are his slave, everything about you is his property. Your mouth, your heart, everything. Everything. Your, your motivation should not just be about, oh, being rich or wealthy and all this other garbage because it's going to burn and pass away. You are a slave to him. He owns every facet of your life, church. This begs the question, are we doing this as a church, as a body of believers? Are we doing this? If you claim that you do believe him from your heart, this is what you're really saying. I I really want to unpack the other side of this. If you're truly saying... I really, really believe and trust in, rely on and adhere to him. And that's from every fiber of my being. You know what you and I are saying? We're saying we're sinners. We're saying that we are, in fact, under the wrath of God, and we are acknowledging that we cannot save ourselves. There's no act that you and I can do to make ourselves right with God on our own merits. You are saying, and I am saying, that God the Father has provided for you and I the way for you and I, through his son, to be saved. And if you truly do, in fact, believe this, your way of life, my way of life, should reflect that we are no longer going to willfully continue to live the way we did before we claim we got saved. What is repentance unto life? Here's true repentance, church. First, Number one, seeing your sin for what it really is. Confessing your sin to him, seeing what it really is. Repentance is that. You are coming clean. First of all, he doesn't need you to do that for his sake. He already knew every single rotten, filthy thing you and I would ever do from the moment we were conceived to the moment we dropped dead. This is you turning and See, just seeing your sin for what it is. Secondly, grieving over your sin. When was the last time you truly wept over your sin? Think about it. When was the last time you grieved over it? What is grieving? Grieving is a deep emotional pain. That's really what grieving means, a deep emotional pain. Ha- having sorrow, a deep emotional sorrow in our heart because of it. Why bother to go to him at all if we're not convicted of it? Third, so first is seeing your sin, confessing it. Secondly, he's grieving over it. Third is the metanoia, turning away from your sin and choose not to belong to this world and its sin anymore. So if you're going this way, 180 degrees, you're now going that way. Finally, a fourth part of repentance under life is walking in obedience and giving your complete life over to Jesus Christ. Hear me this morning. There is absolutely no way you and I can believe in him unless we believe in him that he is our Lord and our master. Hear me this morning. If you truly from your heart believe this and you continue to believe this, you turn away from sin, you turn to God with grateful thanks because of what Christ has done for you. Paul is then telling us that he himself Receive that same grace, exact same grace that you and I receive today. 
Same grace. It's not a different grace. Same grace. And he received his apostleship to call people to the obedience of faith. This is this call to obedience of faith, he says, is to all the Gentiles for Christ's name's sake. And again, I think that Paul had in mind here all races of people because he uses the word ethnos. Jews, non-Jews, doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, where you come from, your nationality, doesn't matter. All nations, all people. He's calling all nations to the obedience of faith. Hear me. By obeying the gospel, by your obedience of faith, you are glorifying Christ. You are putting him on full display. People will see something really different about you. We reveal him to those that he brings into our lives. Listen, church, hell is a very real place. Don't believe Hollywood's lie that you're going to be sitting on a sandy shore, sitting a, sipping a mint tea julep, having fun with your friends, cursing and smoking and carrying on. Hell there is weeping, pain, suffering. Read Luke 17. He could hear, see, remember. He could, all of that. He could feel. He could speak. And hell is for all eternity. It is not, you're going to get a pardon after five years of doing time. It ain't that way. So you are revealing to those who he brings to your lives if you're truly born again. We become these live-like infomercials to others about who Christ is and how he's changed our life. I believe Paul thought a major part of his work was all about glorifying Christ. Slide 8. <clears throat> do we do this where we work? Do our co-workers see that we're submitting to Christ by how we treat our employer when they're complaining and gossiping and cussing and all that stuff and you're choosing not to participate in those unfruitful deeds of darkness? How about in your home? Does your family see that you're submitting to Christ? Do your friends see it? Listen, sin is on full display, and it's very apparent when you and I refuse to glorify Christ in everything we do. If we have that mindset, how many things would be different in your life starting today if your mindset changed that every thought, everything you chose to do was done in a way that he gets the glory? What would be different today than yesterday and the day before if we did that? Would there be a lot less gossiping, a lot less complaining, a lot less moaning, a lot less putting Jesus on full display because things aren't working out our way? Boy, it's still quiet, Dr. Carter. <laughs> Man. See, Paul wants all of us to look up in devotion and praise to the Lord. Do we praise him at home? Do we praise him in our prayer time? He wants all of us to know that it's all about this resurrected son who's being glorified by the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Paul lived and worked and then died for Christ's name. So that's the question. Do we also live and work to glorify his name? Do we understand that this is a privilege? Slide 9. Look at Romans 1, 6, and 7. We're almost done. About 18 more pages. We'll read about three. No, I'm kidding. Among whom... You also are the called, the kletoi of Jesus Christ, among whom you also, Kai, you also are called 
of Christ. To all who are beloved in Rome, that's slide 10, called as saints. If you're saved, you're a saint. Don't worry, nobody's going to be praying to you when you're dead. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I know Dr. Carter wants me to teach you this morning about the Granville Sharp rule and the copulative, but we'll, we'll leave that on. So what is going on here? Paul is now summarizing, and he's giving us an explanation of why he did what he did. He's already told us in verse 1 that he's a doulos, a slave of the Lord. He's also told us that he's an apostolos. He's called out. He's set apart on a different horizon for God. His introduction has summarized for all of us sound Christian doctrine, church. Now we see he's addressing us here in verse 6. You also, if you're truly born again, you are called, the play toy. It means to summon or to appoint. Believers are summoned and they are the called of Christ. This calling, this being appointed, this being summoned is done by God the Father. To you, all of you, you listening around the world. It is the Father who calls us by His grace. He calls us through His Son, Jesus Christ, church. Consider what John shared, slide 11. I love, uh, this will be slide 11 and 12, but look at John 17, 6. Now just read the text. I have manifested your name to the men. Now, this is Jesus talking. This isn't John. This is Jesus. Look what Jesus is saying. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They've kept your word. That should blow your mind. Before you were even a gleam in mommy's eye, before the solar system in the world was created, God already knew everything about you. He's the one that called you. He's the one who saved you. You have no ability to save yourself. And you have no ability to make yourself lose your salvation. I have manifested your name to the men. Father, you gave these men to me out of this cosmos, this world. They were yours. Now you gave them to me. They've kept your word. Look at slide 10. I'm sorry, slide 12. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise them up on the last day. That's why I declare that salvation is 100% all of God's work, 100% all of God's plan. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You are not saved any other way. Don't let any false prophet tell you anything different. Do we now see that we cannot save ourselves? Man, consider how incredible this is. If you are truly a born-again Christian, you belong to Christ. You were a loved... Think about it. You 
think about this, are a love gift to Christ as the bride. How's your wedding gown going to look on that day? You're a love gift. The father, out of all the sons and daughters of Adam, grabbed the group and said, I'm going to give these to you, Jesus, as a love gift. Don't you want to love him? Man, it should fire you up. You were called out of darkness, skatas. The Father called you to him. This word draw, is, is the Greek word is helkuo. The, the, the idea is to bring near and take possession of something. You were called, effectually called, not by force. Jesus drew you by his love. He took possession of you by his love, not by force. We are members of his soma, his body. We're united to him. That's why, you know, when you think of a guy, you know, I'm going to bring a tape in maybe on Monday or Thursday night if they'll let me, and I want to show you the similarities of a Galilean wedding that will make you weep how the Galileans did a wedding. And you can see how much of that influenced the writings of Scripture, how God used that. I'm telling you, when I think about this, I can hardly contain myself how the bride would take a whole year to prepare for her husband. We can't prepare five minutes because we want to watch TV for 40 hours a week. Come on. We are called of Christ. We are his possession. Remember, he bought us with a price. So it seems very clear to me that Paul wanted the Christians of Rome to know who they are and now who we are. And we have a description of them now. And then he says, beloved of God. Think with me for a moment of where these Christians are. They are in Rome. The capital of the world at that time was Rome. Consider for a moment life there for these Christians. Every type of horrible, imaginable sin was taking place there. And it seems like it's happening today. There's Ecclesiastics is Dr. Carter's teaching. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. We have a small group of believers. At this time, they're meeting in homes. This is a group of Christians in Rome. They are different from all the other people in Rome because they're not guilty of, of doing these horrific sins anymore because their life uh, it now belongs to the Lord. God called them out of that darkness. So they're, they're, they're living a totally different way of life now. They are the ecclesias, the called out ones. Remember that word ek is where we get our word exit from to come out of? The ecclesia are the ones that are called out of the world. Can you and I say the same thing about ourselves? What happened to them? How are they changed? Church, it was the love of God. They are called the beloved of God. This is why they are who they are and what they are. This applies to each of us here this morning and you listening around the world today. You who are in Christ are the beloved of God. This has nothing to do with any of us being good people or living a good life. It is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives because he loves us and he's taking the word and he's applying it to our life. You and I can absolutely take no credit for this. For you who are true believers in Christ, let's never 
forget the words Paul spoke. Slide 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul, writing to this church at Ephesus, says, listen, guys, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were physically alive. You were spiritually dead in sin. You walked according to the course of this world. You were walking according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now presently working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We indulged in the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and we were, by nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of them. Think about that. Slide 14. But look at verse 4 and 5. But God. Go through your Bible and look at all the but gods. God appears on the scene. Boom. But God, being rich in mercy because of his mega agape toy, his great love with which he loved us, church, even when you and I were dead in our transgressions. He's the one that made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Hear me this morning. I'm almost done. The only thing that can bring us out of the world and out of the dominion of Satan is the love of God. There's nothing else that you and I can do, church. There's nothing we can ever do on our own on our part to become the beloved of God. It is only his love that has the power to deliver you and I from this terrible plight of sin which plagues our lives. This is why the small group of Christians are meeting together in Rome. It's because God loves them. Ask yourself this question. Why are 